All right, let's go to the G-Man who's now on the phone with us. Hey, G-Man, sorry about that. Well, G-Man, yeah, you're talking about the push for the playoffs tonight. It's exciting that here we are in late February, and, like, it's legit. Like, every game matters from here on out. Yeah, and it's going to be crazy because there's going to be so much scoreboard watching. Everybody's got in the vicinity of 23 to 25 games to play. Four and a half games, as you well know, separate number three, where Sacramento is, and number 12, where Portland is tied. And, I mean, you stub your toe, and you're in a world of hurt. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to be a top six. I don't. I don't want any of business of this play-in stuff because you get down to one game and anything can happen. So let's uh, let's take care of some business here, Sacramento Kings. What do you think? Oh, I am so with you. I do want to talk more about the game in a second, but something I did want to start with with you. Um, we lost someone that maybe some newer Kings fans or younger Kings fans may not be familiar with. Greg Van Dusen passed away, and you know, reading about him in the Sacramento Bee and uh, talking to you in the past about him, uh, a very instrumental person in the Kings journey to Sacramento from Kansas city, instrumental in your career in Sacramento. And then also a guy who deserves a lot of credit because he was part of it really sports history. He was, he helped orchestrate the first naming rights deal in sports when he landed Arco arena so cool. steams and arenas weren't named with right. any sponsor tie. And then the first one was in Sacramento. So G man, when, when you hear the name, Greg, Greg Van Dusen, what do you think? I think it's so many, so many different things because he had his imprint on so many different sports venues. It was the Sacramento Solons playing at Hugh stadium. God forbid. I mean, that was just insane. Uh, the Sacramento Gold, the soccer team, uh, our media softball league. Uh, he worked alongside uh, Greg Lukenbill and, of course, was, was instrumental. He was in Kansas City when the Kings left there to come to California. And, and he, was, he was a huge part of, of my getting the opportunity to become a member of the Kings organization. And it's a story we've told many times, and I, I, don't, I hope it's not being too redundant, but the, the brief version was, it was in January of 1985, and I get a phone call out of the blue, and it's uh, Gregory Dutch Van Dusen. And he said, G-Man, I want to play What If with you for just a moment. And I'm thinking, what if, what if what? And he said, well, okay, go ahead. And he, uh, he says, what if the Kansas City Kings were to come to Sacramento? Would you be interested in being the radio play-by-play voice? And there's this moment I'm letting this register, and I'm thinking, "What? Really? Are you kidding me? Of course, you know." And the excitement began, and and so that was the the evolution of the early stages before anybody was really aware that there was a distinct possibility that Kansas City might move and that they might move to Sacramento, California. That's wild. And if I remember correctly, they had you like go to. Oakland and, and sit in the stands and record yourself calling a game with your son Bobby Gerald by your side <laughs> and then you sent over tape to them. Yeah, Joe Axelson who was the general manager uh, he didn't know me from Adam uh, he just knew that you know Greg Van Dusen was saying it's important to have a local identity tied to this franchise if they move to Sacramento and Gary Gerald would, would, would be ideal in his mind. So Joe Axelson said, well, I I need a sample of his work. And so Bobby and I, my son, who was a teenager at that time, I took him out of school. We had two games. We went down to L.A. to play the Lakers at the old Great Western Forum. 
sat up there in the nosebleeds a couple of rows up behind Chick Hearn, the legendary icon, and uh, talked into a recorder. And Bobby was my other set of eyes and kept some, you know, basic stats for me. And then we went to Oakland and did the same thing against the Warriors. Little did I know that those tapes then went back to Joe Axelson. And when the move was consummated and he was driving from the Midwest to California, he listened to those tapes on the drive cross country. And I remember him telling me sometime later, kid, you're a hell of a lot better than you had any right to be. And I thought that was pretty cool because at that time I didn't tell them, but not only had I never done anything relating to the NBA, I hadn't done any play-by-play basketball for a period of several years prior to that. And so it was, I was really, really fortunate that it all worked out. And here we are 38 years later. That's what's wild about this. Like just, being able to reflect on the start of your NBA play-by-play calling and you look at where you're going into now, G-Man, in approaching 3,000 games Man. this weekend. I mean, when you hear that number, what what does that even mean to you? It, it kind of, It's kind of mind-numbing. I mean, I can't really grasp the reality. And yet, by the same token, it's very meaningful to me. Um, I proudly have uh, autographed game balls from the 1,000th game and from the 2,000th game, and uh, hopefully I'll get an autographed game ball for number 3,000. Whether or not it's going to be Sunday in OKC or if it will, in fact, turn out to be Tuesday in OKC remains to be seen because we don't know yet if Portland's going to make it in time to play tonight in Sacramento at Golden 1. Wow. How wild is that? That is crazy to think about that. Yeah, 3,000 games will be an amazing accomplishment for you, G-Man. Um, you, you just mentioned the Blazers, and yeah, we don't know if they've even taken off yet to land in Sacramento. And I know over the years you have seen a lot of weird travel things. I was bringing up a game I remembered. I don't know if you remember this because you've called a billion of them now. Uh, 2006, you guys were on the back-to-back going to Denver I believe you guys had to land in Colorado Springs, drive into Denver, and you beat the Nuggets that night in Allen Iverson's debut. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And I'm the one thing that I don't remember, that it was a back-to-back. And for some reason, that doesn't ring a bell with me because I thought that we were and we tried to go the day before. Mm. And because of blizzard-like conditions in Colorado, we were unable to do so. So on the day of the game, yes, in fact, we did fly and had to go to Colorado Springs rather than Denver. And then bus from Colorado Springs, we got into what was then known as the Pepsi Center, uh, now a ball arena for the home of the Nuggets. We literally walked in the doors at 5.30 for a 7 o'clock game. Uh, they had some food available in the locker room because there had there was no food available on the flight and on the uh, on the bus ride coming from Colorado Springs. And guys were just kind of woofing down, you know, some quick sandwiches and whatever, and then going on the floor to warm up. And we ended up winning that ball game. And those are, there are two times, one of them being this last season when uh, we were delayed and had to overnight in new Orleans, that was a back-to-back to play in San Antonio the next day, had to fly day of got in San Antonio around one o'clock early afternoon on that game. And we won that game against uh, the Spurs. So the two occasions that I can remember where the Kings had game day flights ended up with victories. Mm. So that being said, 
Don't count out the Portland Trailblazers. Don't count out Dame Lillard. Don't forget, yeah, just because they're missing Anthony Simons and they're missing Joseph Nurkic and uh, Justice Winslow, Dame Dollar is liable to come in here and knock down 65 or something crazy <laughs> like that. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I hope the game is played, certainly, but take nothing for granted. That's what's uh, wild about it is that people can feed off of different type of energy or be inspired by something else when they're running on fumes or barely getting to eat or just running in. Um, I know we're talking about the game, but I'm curious for you, G-Man, was that ever those two games that you mentioned for the Kings, you calling those games, taking you out of your routine, was it ever weird for you to go in and call a game coming into the arena late? Uh, only from a couple of standpoints, and they were they were minor. They didn't it didn't really affect. I don't think the big picture. I remember that when we were delayed this last season uh, in New Orleans, we spent three plus hours at the arena after a game against the Pels, and I used that time. I set up a makeshift little desk and propped up my laptop and, and went to work and started doing stuff to get ready for the next uh, day's game against San Antonio and then further updated some of that stuff on the plane plane ride, which was a short one from new Orleans to San Antonio. So um, it didn't impact a lot, but it, it does throw things into a, I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. I think that's the biggest thing. And I'm sure that's what's going through the minds of the trailblazers right now. We don't know if in fact, you know, they were targeting, we were hearing a one o'clock takeoff time from the time they got de-iced. So we don't know if that in fact is taken place yet or not, uh, I just can imagine. I was told earlier today, and I've got a couple of different sources have said that the Blazers were on the plane for seven hours oh. yesterday before the flight was eventually canceled. And then they had to go home and then come back to the airport this morning. And then they're still having rough weather in Portland and the de-icing and one thing or another. If they Once they get in the air, it's a very short flight. It's basically an hour and 20 minutes from Portland down to Sacramento. So Uh, I'm hoping, as I say, that we get to play the game, but it's the uncertainty. And I can't imagine, you know, what they're going through because just this morning I was at the arena early and went to shoot around and so forth. And uh, I saw Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox and they're on their phones a lot and they're texting and they're talking with people. And then Wes goes out and talks to the club at the end of shoot around and basically saying, you know, be prepared. If this game does not get played, it's going to move up our travel tonight to LA because the Kings play the Clippers in LA tomorrow. So there, there are a lot of moving parts to these types of things, and uh, it's just the uncertainty that everybody has to deal with, certainly magnified tenfold on the part of the Trailblazers versus the Kings. Well, let's hope it gets played tonight because I know this is a you know a lot of excitement right now about this team with where they are at, and you know we were thinking about the fact that you've obviously been calling games for thirty eight years, and you know during that stretch you've only seen uh, eight winning seasons and ten playoff <laughs> appearances. I know you love your job. I know you're great at what you do. You take great pride in it. But there's no doubt that during some of the tough times, it can be mentally, I don't know, exhausting sometimes, just like dealing with losing. We talk about with players, but you've seen a lot of losing during your times as the play-by-play voice. Uh, how how have you handled that during your run? Well, it, it's a challenge. Early on, I didn't know any better. Uh, and, you know, the Kings did go to the playoffs the very first year in Sacramento. A lot of people forget that. Yeah. It was a best of three series with Houston, and the first two were played in Texas. Kings lost those two, then came home to play the Rockets as uh, a number eight seed versus a number one, and they lost that. 
so it was a you know a quick in and out. Well, then they didn't see the playoffs again until the mid '90s, uh, going against Seattle, and that was in the Mitch Richmond era, and the Kings split the first two up in Seattle, and you know that just led to a feeding frenzy among Kings fans because that was huge. And, you know, you're on the threshold of maybe pulling off a stunning upset. You come home and uh, you're, you're doing really well against the Sonics until Mitch goes down in the second half with an injury. And that ended that playoff run. And then that takes you, of course, to the eight years under Adelman where the Kings were in the playoffs and the memorable series, of course, against the Lakers and all of that. Um, so there's been, there've been a lot of dreary times it's a huge challenge. It is deflating and it is depressing at times. And I, I know that, you know, as a young broadcaster, you, there are times you have to talk to yourself and you have to kind of get yourself geared up and say, regardless of what happens tonight, you know, try to be your best, try to be informative, try to be entertaining and, and just, you know, do your job to the best of your ability. And, uh, I, you know, we've had that tested at different times. We had it tested, Ten years ago, when it looked like the franchise was going to relocate and go to Seattle, we had it during COVID when we're doing games, the road games on a remote basis and nobody in the building. And even with the cutouts in the building, when you were playing at home, it, it was a tough, it's a tough challenge. But the thing I love, Deuce, that gets us to now, to tonight, yeah. is the fact that for the first time in the last 16 years, I legitimately am starting to feel like this team gives me confidence that on any given night against any given opponent in any given arena, they've got a legitimate chance to win. And I haven't had that feeling for far too long. That's got to be, I mean, obviously, like you said, you throughout all the losing seasons have found it from within, respecting the art form of broadcasting to give it your all and find your own energy and everything else. But when you have a season like this with a team that you have covered for so long. It's just got to feel so, so different. What has been the most like special part about this season so far for you? I think it starts with Mike Brown and his staff. Uh, I, I've become a huge fan of the head coach and the staff that he has put together. And it's, you know, I hearken back to that first <clears throat> media get together and I know you guys were there uh, back in June, right after the Warriors had won the championship, and Mike Brown makes his first visit to Sacramento. And there were a lot of people within the organization. There were a handful of players at his news conference. And he talks about needing soul within the organization. And from afar, he had detected that if there was soul, it wasn't the right kind of soul. And it didn't serve the correct purposes and how there needed to be accountability there needed to be everybody, not just the players and the coaching staff, but the medical staff, the front office, the people who sell the tickets, the marketing folks. Everybody has to pull on the same rope in the same direction, and you have a common goal, and that's go to the playoffs and succeed. You have to build this. It takes time. It's a process. We all know that, but we're seeing it happen, and to me, that's really exciting, and to me, that's that's been what has triggered this this season of hope and renewal, revitalization, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's so good to see it coming together, finally. Oh, man. 
I know, even that just like I know, like, it gets I'm me even up. more fired Can we play up. Tonight? Yeah, I'm let's ready get to a go. game. It's been too long since we played a game, G Man. Well, G Man, we, we we appreciate you so much, of course. Um and uh, let's hopefully we get a game tonight and uh we'll do this again soon. Well, thank you guys. As I've said in the past, love you and love uh, you appreciate too. what you guys do and uh you're special folks in my book and uh, let's let's keep it rolling. G Man, thank you. We love you too, man. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. That's the G Man Gary Gerald.